Well, good afternoon to you. This is Alan Seymour, your host here on the future of sport on the All In Sports Talk platform. It's a real privilege today to make contact again um, with Troy Kirby, the sports tau. And it's always a difficulty, I think, now how does, how does one pronounce it? But maybe, Troy, you can tell us a little bit about the origins of uh, that handle you wear so well and also your background in sports podcasting. Well, uh, first of all, Alan, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I enjoyed interviewing you a few years ago. I'm probably a little delayed in doing it again, and we should probably do that. Um, what I will say is that uh, the word Tao or Dao, as it is a Chinese word, means all things flow from within. Now, the reason that the, I came up with this name was not that I came up with it, but I was um, mulling over what to do um, with this podcast that I had started with a friend while I was walking through uh, Chinatown in um, San Francisco. And this was in 2012, October. And there was a homeless gentleman who piped up after hearing our conversation because, of course, I was probably too loud and, uh, you know, excitable about it and told me that I should call it the Tao of Sports. All things flow from within. And so I gave him 25 U.S. dollars because I figured, you know, you, I paid for it. And uh, <laughs> there you go. So that's it's uh, what I find amazing about it is it's not so much the name but it's the amount of participation uh, that has really kind of blown me away because at this count I have 816 episodes. I've interviewed people in China. I've interviewed people in Brazil, um, Russia, uh, London, of course, but, you know, places, Australia, places I wouldn't think, you know, outside of the U.S. and that U.S.-centric idea that uh, we're only sports business in certain categories and we only talk about uh, certain things like the NBA or NFL, uh, not necessarily so. And I think that that's helped broaden my horizons. And we're actually less than a month away from the fifth year anniversary of uh, the podcast launch. And it started with uh, episode one where I uh, put it up there, you know, just kind of as a you know, kind of a gag and had a few people that I'd never met before respond and tell me how much they liked it. And it's just kept sense. And um, I will say that, you know, the podcast is any of that type of discussion um, has to be guest driven. I think that's one of the failings that a lot of people have is that they want to be the, the host driven to where they end up, uh, you know, I guess coming up with the best calculations or the best uh, musings of what um, sports business should be. And typically, if you do that, you only have about two episodes in you. Um, but if you essentially listen to the guests and listen a lot more than you talk, um, I think that's where all of a sudden you uh, you become broader based in what your knowledge is, as well as the knowledge that people kind of adapt from it. I mean, I have to kind of pause taking up obviously uh, and it's almost like tutor to tutor here you know the listening as well as talking but it is so 
encouraging. It is so rewarding for me to listen to a, a lot of that intro and a lot of the formulation of what you did. We have lots of synergies, uh, and it's quite amazing, really, numbers there counting. You know, I think I was about 390th interview that I did, and here you are approaching 800. I've started off with exactly the same hopefully uh, and, and I use that word advisedly and, and, I, and I really do think that because of my guests and because of the nature of sport business and education particularly and the way platforms are arising today particularly through social media it gives this opportunity to really engage and you know I've recently celebrated one year in doing fortnight shows I've done 26, in, uh, 26 episodes and I really do believe that the opportunities that arise from something like this are, you know, they're, they're just phenomenal. Can I kind of move and segue nicely into uh, the fact that clearly the appeal, I think, from some of the things that you've mentioned there is global and the inference and necessarily the way sport business culturally, socially, uh, maybe in many other kind of uh, arenas, as it were. How do you feel sport business has changed through those five years in terms of maybe some of those touch points, particularly globally, Troy? Well, I think it comes from the idea of the discussion. And I think it comes from the idea that, as you mentioned, we're listening to people. Um, I don't think that a lot of times people went overseas from the United States and typically went there and thought that Australia had a better, you know, CRM data acquisition yeah. uh, than they did in the States. And I think some of that comes from the fact that um, if you want, whatever you want to say about the United States and Americans, and look, I'm an Amer a proud American, just as you're a proud uh, Londoner, um, we are very boisterous and we are very, uh, you know, bang our chest with our opinion. And I think that sometimes that has been costly when we've gone over to other countries because we haven't necessarily listened as much as told. Yeah. One of the things that happened to me was in 2014 going to the Sport Fan Summit, um, which was over in Australia, Melbourne, that year. And uh, I had advice from other um, sports executives who were longer in the tooth who uh, really kind of shaped it as they thought that um, – you know, the other countries were, you know, or these other sports teams, you know, really just had to be told the basics because they really just didn't have it down. But what I found was that I actually went on a tour of two or three teams and I was more amazed at what they had than we had back in the States. They weren't focused on 100 phone calls a day. They weren't focused on some of the rudimentary things. They were actually focused on uh, data acquisition down to, uh, how to make sure that if you have a player card, uh, every single time that player card is accessed at the merchandise counter or at the concessions counter or even down to the public transportation, uh, they have that information. And I think that comes from the idea of listening more than talking. And, you know, getting back to the podcast in itself, I do have to say that I do have to hit the mute button sometimes because I don't want to over-talk my guests. And I think that that's a problem that we all have, is that we all think that we have the solution or we have the answer. And the more that we think that without actually sitting there and allowing you know the discussion to kind of grow uh, organically, I think it's costly. And I think that's where, as sports business has started to head, 
uh, people have started to uh, see not only with I think Twitter to me is one of the best ways uh, for sports business to grow. Um, I have an email list that goes out to about, about 13,000 each week that lists some of these things, but also allows certain people to um, write articles on just how they feel in sports sales training or uh, maybe secondary market partnership or things of that nature. But as you see that stuff grow, you also have to see the people not only consume it, but want to participate in it. Um, right now, I'm part of a broker Slack chat, huh. which Slack didn't even exist uh, five years ago. But uh, that now has 200 brokers, 200 ticket sales brokers, who all talk about the issues that are concerning to them that they would not have ever spoken on five years ago, simply because they would not have had the platform except for their conference once a year. The the one thing that I will tell you is, and this is a little bit American-centric, but it, it holds up, is I still think that we're in the 1880s in terms of technology delivery. So back in the 1880s, if you went to a small town, especially in the American West, um, and you had a printing press, you were the authority on media distribution. Well, this, uh, now with social media, every person has the ability to become the authority on a specific niche of distribution. It's whether or not you have uh, really kind of the assets and tools in place to take that distribution and take that media and that content and put it out. What I would say to you is just because I have 800 episodes does not mean that what I've put out there, you know, in terms of a body of work, is comparable to your 26 episodes because your 26 episodes may have more valuable information. I think this is where people get discouraged on things, and this is where the discussion stops. You shouldn't worry about whether or not people are putting out more things or you know how they're putting them out. It's whether or not you're putting out the richest type of content that's going to survive. And I think you know five years ago, if you look at it, podcasting really hadn't. Uh, taken off. Some blogs had taken off in, in a certain sense, but Facebook was still finding its way. Twitter was still finding its way. And so now we have all these social media channels which allow us to have it to where if I want to distribute something on a niche market to 15,000 or 12,000 or 5,000 people in that total thing, not only is that something that I'm, it's digestible, but it might be highly digestible to that group and not to an entire framework beyond, but that's okay. And that's what I think is the difference. People used to think they had to get 15 million people to listen you know, to something in order to be a tangible. Now it can be 15,000. And I think that's where sports business is headed is now that you have people that want to uh, receive certain information uh, you know, you don't need that that giant amount of people, so therefore you can use a media distribution channel like Twitter to reach them, and then it just depends on whether or not you're, you're given the goods. You see that with especially American media uh, right now, but even some you know international who are journalists who've lost their jobs who are now creating their own uh, you know pay-per-view uh, site, so a paywall site, uh, specifically because they know they can have it uh, funded. Uh, by the small amount of uh, people that want to read it. 
I mean, Troy, it is to my audience, to myself personally, and I'm sure as this conversation uh, with you today progresses, lots of touch points that you've given me there. I could hardly kind of separate some of them. But maybe just picking up on one of the things that you talked about. You referred to a summit you went to, Sports Fans Summit um, in Australia 2014. Very interestingly, I wasn't present there but I felt I was because I was able to engage with some of the activities that are going on were going on there um, via obviously the internet and, and social media and, and I actually used some quotations from it in a piece that I then did as a presentation at a European sponsorship conference about this ability if you like to to share content to be part of the whole process and rather than telling listening uh, was very important and I think out of that this consideration of the importance of participation engagement two-way you know you need to be involved both as a sports business or a sports brand but also the audiences that you're trying to reach I'm a massive fan like you Uh, I've used social media and I've used Twitter particularly to promote some ideas and conferences in this area, which kind of nicely leads me on. I've always believed that Twitter, you know, um, sometimes you make a sale and some people reluctantly or um, sadly kind of think that's it over. It's not. It's the beginning. It's the start point. It's then that you can uh, enhance that with real conversation, real engagement and taking it forward. I'm about to launch uh, a second uh, sport business conference here in the UK and I'm delighted to be able to welcome some of my American colleagues and I think one of the things that needs maybe um, some thoughts in and I'd be very keen to hear what you think Dr Bill Sutton from the University of South Florida talked very much about spreading their uh, philosophy and their education outside America and I know you're involved in sport business education so tell us a little bit, Troy, if you can, about what your feelings are and perspectives and kind of approaches are on this uh, engagement in a sport business education setting. Oh, I think it's uh, I think it's phenomenal and I think it's important. Um, I think the fact that we can talk through Skype as we are right now yeah. for this, it shows you exactly what you can do as a sport educator. You're not going to be able to... Uh, house a Bill Sutton at every single campus, you know, every single year. That's just not going to happen in residence. But if you can have him on a Skype call or if you can have him at your conference, yeah. you know, I think that's where it's valuable. And, you know, I'll, I'll say something for Bill Sutton and the same thing for John Spolstra is both are legends in the game, but both always are very giving and very nice people. You know, I think that's uh, one of the things that happens at a conference is uh, you meet people face-to-face, and um, I wouldn't say the allure that, you know, somehow they aren't accomplished, but uh, I do think it is that they they are very accomplished, but they, they have the ability to be not isolating, and I think that's one of the things that um, actually helps along those lines is the fact that you can approach them. And when you can approach them at a conference, you're one of the group. You're part of your opinion is, you know, something that they'll hear out. I think that's important. I think that uh, that's where that approachability at conferences, I don't think, will go away. 
as much as people like to talk about technology, I think technology lures you into the conference. Yeah. So, because I've seen, I watched uh, the National Sports Forum for a few years on Twitter and then decided to go when it was uh, near a few states away. I think that that's, you know, something that you have to do and have to be involved in. You know, and that's, you know, you don't get that. And every single, the one time that I missed a conference, I felt, wow, I, I missed out because of the face-to-face -face interaction. It's yeah. just such a huge part of it. So you talk about the educational factor. Your education is, should not be based simply on what the course curriculum says. Correct. If you're a student, it should be based on what you can glean from that person outside of it because that person will tell you a lot more over a pint than they probably will in the course structure. I mean, Troy, I, I absolutely, 100%, 100%, keep emphasising that, because I've come out of a background, I'm notionally retired, I'll never retire, but I've come out of a kind of formal uh, course leader, course director role, and decided that I just had so much more I wanted to do, maybe without restrictions, and this interview and some of the things that I've talked about and we've touched upon is, is kind of evidence to that. But I so believe that, you know, things like, I mean, you mentioned this, the 1880s of technology, we're only at the beginning, we've got so much further to go with it. And I think that needs to be uh, focused on, I think it needs to be developed, I think more people to need to get alongside that, because you can't just do everything online, you know, and you must continue to have in parallel, in tandem, alongside it, the one-to-one -one connections, the FaceTime, the visitation, uh, the tutoring, the mentoring, and go outside your normal realms and kind of get involved in whatever aspect that you feel you can uh, endeavour and get involved in. Can I kind of just, uh, you know, without putting too many summations here, life outside sport business, Troy, if we can kind of go a little left field maybe here, I know you've done some extra things besides obviously what is clearly your, 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 your core focus. Something tells me I believe you've just written uh, a book, have you, and uh, you've, you've authored something a little bit different. Tell maybe my audience a little bit about that. Uh, two books. Two uh, books, say you know, the, <laughs> the, wonderful, the wonderful world of Amazon allows you to self-publish, but ah. one of the things that actually happened um, recently was that a lot of uh, traditional book publishers, um, they laid off a lot of their book designers and they laid off a lot yeah. of their copy editors and proofreaders and editors. So um, those folks are available at a, D a DIY. I had a you know, I'd written some things over the years, but I'd always just kept them to myself. And then when the opportunity arose, um, I put them down on paper and, uh, you know, designed the thing and um, had it published. And, you know, it's funny is it's really uh, kind of just a life fulfillment to be able to hand somebody a, a nice book that you've written and say, I wrote this. Um, the, the beauty part is I'm not required to sell a certain amount of books in order for you know, my my thoughts to be out there in order for, there's no publisher upset at me because I only publish, you know, what, 1,200 books instead of, you know, 12,000. Yeah. But it it does allow you to, to broaden what you want to do. So if, and, you know, the thing is that I'm always supportive of, you don't have to be, you are not a sports business prof professor. You are Alan Seymour. 
you have the ability to do far more things. This idea that you're captivated into one area of your entire life is so silly. And so many people confine themselves to it for whatever reasons. And I just, I, I'm just not into that. So if I want to do a, a podcast on, you know, something else, I mean, I would put that under a, a different stream. It wouldn't be something that the Dow of Sports folks would listen to, but I should have that right and that interest and that's kind of where I go with everything I do if I wanted to you know uh, show up at a comic con and dress up as Superman I shouldn't feel as if I can't do that and you know I don't I don't think I'd choose Superman but <laughs> but my point is is that this this confining idea that people put themselves in that they cannot do things or that would just that boy what would people think I don't care you know, because at the same time, I think a lot of people think, you know, people don't really think that much of you. You know, aside from today, I don't know that you really thought that much about me, you know, like 24-7. It's just the way people are. People are thinking of themselves. So if you want to go do something, go do it. And I am i don't stop myself. And I, I when people ask me, you know, well, what, well, what will other employers think if, uh, you do this. You know what? I, I've started a consultancy agency about a year ago that's been my full-time work. I have had yet one person mention anything that I've done in terms of creative writing as a position to where, boy, that's a, that's something that, you know, that's a deal breaker for them. You know why? Because all they care about is their own business and whether or not I can make them money. And that's it. And that's, you know, so they don't care what, they don't care if I have one arm or two. You know, they just want to make money. And so, at the same time, if it's something that I enjoy doing, I'm not going to stop myself from doing it. And I would always encourage everybody else to kind of have that same right and be able to do what they want to do. When I was working at uh, University of California, Davis, I was their director of ticket operations there when I started the podcast. They were more upset about the fact that I wasn't just doing my ticket job, but in my off hours, I was doing the podcast. <laughs> well, it didn't matter that it was within the same industry and the same field. It was because they chose to believe that that was outside of what was expected of a person in my category. And, you know that I don't do what's expected of me. I do beyond that. Because otherwise, you're going to die at some time. I'd rather die with a lot of uh, credentials and a lot of things I've done rather than one or two. I mean, Troy, just hold that thought. I mean, we're doing an audio. It will be online. It will be a radio podcast uh, very, very soon, folks out there. But the, the smiles and the uh, uh, and almost the ambience almost and the... The, the kind of feelings that are coming out of this interview, for me, the synergies are so, so resonant in what I've done, what I'm doing, what I'll continue to do. I mean, just as a byproduct of what you've said, or as a byline to what you've said, uh, the future of sport notionally is what I talk about. And yes, I have lots of guests and they're centred around the sport business industry. But last week on my interview, I chose three notional entertainers, people in the arts world. But you know what? They were like you and me. They were Alan Seymour and Troy Kirby because they had a life outside what they were doing. And quite often, sport, front and back page news permeates. They were fans of football clubs. So that was my link. 
in there. Can I kind of, I'm not going to put any closure because I'd like to keep this rolling, uh, if I may, with you, Troy, this, uh, this afternoon here in the UK morning where, where you are. The future, the future of sport, I know it's that kind of crystal ball gazing time maybe, but so many changes. Maybe if you were giving some advice or some experiences that you could share with my audience, and I'm thinking particularly of career paths here, uh, aspirant students starting in the world of, of sport business, and I know it's probably slightly different with a, uh, a, maybe a, a, an American perspective, or maybe it shouldn't be uh, against some of the perspectives with my students, but what kind of real advice and what kind of things would they have to alert themselves to particularly maybe in what they perceived as why they're studying it and maybe what the actual practicing of it will mean I think that it's important to um, really kind of bone up on every single thing that you can find within sports business not just what you think your job title will be right now but your job title in the future um, I'll give you an example right. of something that I think uh, is really lost on a lot of students. Um, I was talking to minor league baseballs um, that has one of their teams has an assistant general manager, and he was talking about the phenomena of seeing 1,500 kids in suits at their winter meetings because they all want to, um, you know, meet and you know they want to work in sports. And one of the things that he mentioned to me offhand was that he never sees those kids again. And I thought what's interesting is people will get, you know, loaded up on the idea that they just show up at one thing and they've created a relationship. And a relationship is a long-term deal. It's not something that you just do overnight. I don't. I have relationships with uh, different men and women o- around the world. It doesn't mean that those relationships are one face-to-face, and I never talk to them again. Some of them are people that, you know, uh, since that Melbourne trip, I met a young woman, and her name was Nat Brown. Uh, She's changed it. She's gotten married, but, uh, you know, darn my luck. But (laughs) the thing is, I've seen her at another conference since. I've also communicated with her online. Um, You know, I always, she's on my Facebook personally, so, you know, sometimes uh, she and I will interact on, you know, certain things, but... She knows that I care about her. I think she cares about me the same way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's what a relationship is. A relationship is not, and that's where I think a lot of kids and young people are missing it. They see the they see the person that is um, doing this stuff that they want to do, but they're only there accessing that person when they need something or when they want that next job. And what I'm saying is you should always approach these things as you want to be there when they don't think you need anything from them because that's when they know they have a personal relationship with you. I'm always willing to help people, but if they only contact me uh, when they need something after a while, then you kind of go, oh, come on. You know, like, and I get it. You know, like if you're if you're securing a podcast guest is one thing. I I get that. You know what I mean. But yeah. if that, but if but if it's a constant, you know, wheeling of stuff, and you have this. Come on, don't tell me you don't have this in the educational process. To where the only time you hear from former students is when they need you to do something for them, which is write a recommendation. But they don't really ever ask. They only ask you what's going on in your life at that period. And to me. 
that's that's where I think in the future sports business, I think it's going to become more relationship based than it even is now because the jobs are going to start narrowing a little. You know, there's only about fifteen thousand, maybe twenty thousand total jobs worldwide in this industry, and they're yeah. not all revolving all the time. Well, there's at least you know what twenty thousand people that are trying for jobs in the United States every year that are new students. So you know you have a certain proportion of people that are not going to get jobs in this industry. The, and the thing is, you just want to have a job, or do you want to be somebody that is well respected and thought of, so that when they when new jobs open up, people think of you first. And that comes from a relationship, and it's not trying to be, you know, uh, ta- you know, strategics or you know, just be tactics, but you know, just be a good person. You know, the um, so I started the College Ticket Association and for college sports um, with three of my friends, and what you know is amazing is that was under an umbrella association of other folks. And nobody thought, I don't think that we would get as much success as we did. Um, it's now in year four. The difference was I didn't try to do it alone, and I did it with people that I had personal relationships with who could count on me being just as forthright that when I wasn't in charge, that I would I would deliver for them just as they were delivering for me when they were in charge. And that's the thing that I think you know changed about it was instead of it just being when it was a return on ego when I could say oh yeah hey I'm president therefore we're doing this when they were president I was just as you know uh, I was just as energetic I was just uh, as much pushing forward and I think that that's the difference is you have to be willing to you know kind of move forward with whatever the initiative is when you're not in charge I mean, but because it's kind of a symbiotic thing. Symbiotic. I mean, Troy. I mean, it, it almost at, at some point we're going to have to kind of um, put some closure and, and, and link up some summations here. But I, I really do feel, and it's so so refreshing almost. And, and I know I can share this not just with you on a personal level, and I think that personalization is absolutely crucial. You know, some of the touch points that have come out of today, you know, we talked about Bill Sutton and being a good person and caring, you know, and, and, and I always think that sometimes the comments you make about maybe former students or just someone going um, to, to a conference or, or to a presentation and they never are ever seen again. You know, I referred earlier that I notionally retired uh, I have smaller numbers in terms of students, but I've gone back for two graduations since I retired to make sure that I'm there, you know, to touch base personally and again with those students. And I think this necessity, and it's received, and it's reciprocal, and, and I think that is so, so important. I think maybe one of the the things that sometimes social media and online is doing is that everything is robotic or it, it's sanitised in some ways. And I always think that sport, you know, if I can use a kind of metaphor, it is, always has to be hot. It isn't cold. Put that energy uh, and passion in there. And so it's really great to hear 
what you've said to us in this fantastic, fascinating interview today. Let's kind of maybe just look at the bigger picture, if there is such a, you know, a, a bigger picture. Things that go on in society, and it's a very broad perspective here, but culture, I'll, if I can kind of put it in cultures, the great difference, you know, I know that when the American students come over here in November and when I've taken students over to Florida and other parts, uh, I've, I've liaised with students uh, in, um, in San Antonio and they're coming back over in December. I always think that there is a real culture shock to students when they see this. What do you think is there are some of the big differences or the subtle differences between maybe the two approaches to sport business and sports education, Troy? You know, here's what I will say is that there is not one solution to every problem. Okay. You know, and the idea that um, simply because... Um, the problems that are facing English sports clubs, uh, especially football over there with attendance, yeah. are not things that we have over in the United States. Does not mean that those problems aren't just as um, just as wide and just as you know. I, I guess just as concerning. I mean, with the United States, a lot of times you know we have. Uh, cities or we have municipalities which will fund new stadiums. I mean, I don't know that you have that nope. uh, phenomenon over there, but um, I also don't know that uh, we would uh, tolerate over here the phenomena that you typically have, which is uh, anytime you try to raise any type of prices, uh, you get people that are, you know, essentially <laughs> ready to riot. Absolutely. Uh, I still think, though, I will say that I would like hooliganism uh, to, you know, be something that uh, we can, you know, really take over the United States because I, I think that we would be better at violence than, you know, the English soccer fan. But I'm kidding. Um, I know, yeah. The other thing is that we, we take uh, certain things and certain aspects um, that uh, we, we think would be quick solutions for the United States that we see, like relegation. And we don't understand what it does to an entire, yeah. you know, football soccer club to decimate it, and how that changes the narrative with uh, fan support. We also think that we could graft on membership, and we don't understand that uh, certain things that the Americans do um, in terms of trying to move teams when they don't work uh, wouldn't happen. I mean, there's just uh, you know, and it comes down to you talk about culture, but which culture, which yeah. society? They're all different societies. They're all different cultures. If I took that phenomenon and I went over to China, there is no way that they adopt teams the same way that you do in London. Yeah. There is no way that they buy in the same way that you do in the United States. They are completely different in what they do. Uh, Brazilian soccer, um, I just interviewed on the podcast a woman that did does all the ticketing for Brazil. Right. And they don't even have public transportation that goes at night because the city, you know, city and, you know, governments don't want to have it. They don't care that there's a game on a Wednesday night. They don't care that their public needs to, you know, find a way back home. So all of a sudden you'll have all the games and you'll have all the supporters, but they'll just be stuck because <laughs> yeah. not everyone can afford a car. So, uh, I mean, you know, when you're looking at it from, 
sports business. I think it's really harmful to be a doctor and diagnose a broken leg without looking at it in every single, you know, I, I guess every single patient. And I think it's really harmful to think that everything that you see can have the same, I guess, uh, you know, uh, same different uh, way that you're going to operate on the same, you know, a different person. I mean, Troy, the... I wouldn't try to yeah. operate... Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't operate the same on somebody else without seeing them and without seeing the situation. I don't think that any doctor would feel that that's, that's smart or necessary. Yeah, Troy, I mean, if I had to find a, a stopping point, and suddenly I'm going to have to kind of do some summations here now but that would that would certainly be something that you know it, we're, we're not in a, a one-fits-all scenario every situation needs this um, tailoring and personalizing and I'm, I'm fascinated as well because um, again if I, I've referred to Bill Sutton a few times so why not keep the, uh, the, the the story going a little bit because he talked about one of the biggest difference he's noticed by traveling the world a bit a bit like you are to talk like, like you have to talk and he, he, he talked about watching a, a French-England rugby match in Paris, and it was only at that time that he realised, you know, what it really means to be a fan of somebody. And, and I always remember when uh, um, um, Hicks and Gillette came over when they bought Liverpool Football Club, and it turned out to be an absolute disaster. But they kept referring to it as a franchise and didn't understand the the whole tradition and and, and, and culture persona. And things have changed. FSG in there now made a big mistake by talking almost about the club and fans as the consumer and the product. And like you touched upon, there were near riots because various fan groups you know, protested and, and started to have dialogue. But the interesting thing about this was that when you do listen and when there is dialogue, then ultimately um, it can be a, a, a very, very effective uh, model or almost a very effective way of dealing with things. Let's put the final um, comments almost on today's uh, interview with you, Troy. If you were starting again, Troy, uh, to launch a, a new podcast, or what kind of podcast opportunities do you think are going to exist now and in the future? Well, I mean, first off, if I was starting today, uh, would I have the same knowledge? Would I have the same... I mean, because just because there's more people that are doing podcasts does not mean I would have earned the knowledge that I have. You always see those, and I hate to refer to it, but the science fiction shows where they always change time, but yet they always have the same knowledge of the blood, sweat, and tears that they went through prior in that other timeline. I wouldn't have that. A lot of this comes from the idea that whatever you're doing, that you're earning it through the amount of you know sweat equity that you put in over five years. There's a lot of things that I've learned over the last five years you know, to put together a podcast that if I started it today, I don't know that I would have that. Right. But, you know, I do think that research and finding out um, what other people have done and trying to learn from their mistakes and learn from what they say is right is, you know, probably the best motive. Um, but I would also say that, you know, getting there and doing it is one of the others. So, 
you know, if I were to start a podcast today, I'd probably keep it at the same format. Uh, but there are things that I've learned over the years because, you know, there are some people that I allowed probably to talk too long. Um, there are some people that I, I wrote down every question I was going to ask early on. And um, then as I started to get on, I understood that it should be like this one, a conversation. Because I think you can get into deeper meaning when people aren't as prepared. I think preparation sometimes has cost people in conversation because people tend to get more guarded. And if they open up, that's where you actually learn something. When they're more guarded, they're only giving you what they think, uh, the details or whatever they think that you need to hear, rather than actually the amount of expansiveness of what they've done. I don't know that we would have talked as much on this podcast, maybe that's better for the listener if we hadn't, but, uh, you know, uh-huh. but if we, if we hadn't tried to have a, a conversation and we tried to just do it on formatics, cause I would have prepared merely for the question rather than Correct. trying to really think yeah. about them. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to sadly close, but it's not sad at all because today this conversation has been refreshing, it's been rewarding, and most of all, it's been enjoyable and fun. And if nothing else, Alan Seymour and Troy Kirby have engaged again and will continue to do so in the future. I will fe- I will leave you maybe with a couple of thoughts, because before I started the broadcast today, you know, I, I looked at Sports Tau, I looked at the, the pronunciation of Tau, and I've probably still got it wrong, but you gave a, a, a kind of a, um, a reference point, uh, seeing the homeless guy and, and whatever at the beginning of today's interview, and, and, and I looked at a little nice definition, the way or path to be followed. Well, it's been great to follow you, Troy. I hope we continue to follow each other. And my final kind of lesson for everybody out of today's interview and conversation is that once you're a podcast host, you're also a a podcast guest. And, And I think this reciprocation of both of those things is great. Troy, really good to have you on today's show. Just give a final shout out, maybe how my audience, anybody can get in touch with you. Okay, so, well, first of all, Alan, thank you very much for having me on again. I do think that it's fascinating. I do think podcasting becomes addictive. Yeah. So you haven't mentioned that, that it does become something that you start looking forward to guests and going, wow, I get to talk to this person. I get to talk to this person yeah. in a different country or a different you know, city, etc. Um, what I will say is that uh, you can follow me on uh, several different things on Twitter. It's SportsTow. So sports, T-A-O, uh, that's my Twitter handle. Um, you can follow me on TroyKirby.com, which will get you right just to the podcast uh, stuff themselves. If you have um, the uh, um, Apple I, you know, store on your iPhone or if you have the Google Android, I've got mobile apps in that for both. Then they're under Tau Sports Podcast. And then SportsTau.com, so that's sports. TAO.com. That's the way to reach the website and, uh, you know, get in part of the discussion. But always happy to take emails. I, you know, whenever I do one of these, I always get about two or three emails from people that are interested and I'll always respond or, yeah, it might take me sometimes, you know, a day or two. But um, I definitely love the idea of uh, further discussion. And the one thing that uh, I think is that. You mentioned about giving. Uh, if those people 
that uh, I mentioned in those 800 episodes had not chosen to give their time, their 30 minutes, their 45 minutes of their busy day at that time to me, I don't think that I would have the episodes or, the, you know, the discussion that I do. And I think that that's one thing that you have to sound appreciative of every single time I do one of these is that I do appreciate the fact uh, that these people were willing to give their time. Uh, you know, there's a, a gentleman uh, I'm trying to have. He's a VP of an NBA team, a uh, highly successful one. He was supposed to do one tomorrow. Guess what? He has to reschedule. I'm appreciative that he told me, yeah. and I'm not discouraged by the fact that he has to reschedule. He has a busy life. He's giving me 45 minutes. That's very valuable. I should be appreciative of that. And I think that's one of the things, whether it's podcast or whether it's meeting somebody face-to-face, to be appreciative of the fact that they're uh, giving you the time. It doesn't mean that, you know, you've got to essentially, you know, just get down on one knee and bow to them, but at the same time understand where their perspective is and what they're allowing you to do with them. That's pretty uh, darn good and that's gold, so you got to appreciate it. Otherwise, it will not uh, continually occur. Troy? I really, really appreciate what we've done today. Great to have this conversation. We'll talk again very soon. You take care, my good friend, and all the best for the future, Troy. Yep. Have a good day.